0: This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds & Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Learn how operating differently can help you overcome the pressures facing your dealership today at reyrey.com slash operate differently. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot com slash operate dash differently.
1: Welcome to Daily Drive for Monday, June 19th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, executive editor of Automotive News here in Detroit. And I'm Callan Walker in Las Vegas.
2: Today on the show, UAW supplier strikes end in Ohio and Michigan. Lithia makes its first US deal of the year, and it's a big one. And customers say they prefer safety tech over self-driving cars. Plus, startup Terawatt has big plans to charge EV fleets across America we from CEO and co-founder, Neha Palmer.
3: You know, we view this as uh, once in a once-in-a-generation type of infrastructure that needs to be built. Two generations ago, railroads. Last generation was the National Highway Network, and now we're gonna electrify that highway network. So, really exciting.
1: Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Striking workers at a Constellium aluminum parts plant near Detroit and a Clarios battery plant near Toledo have both ratified new contract agreements. UAW President Sean Fain called both strikes successes during a Facebook Live event. As you can see, our members are ready to fight back from coast to coast. And those of you holding the line out there, I want you to know your international union has your back 100%. Union members at the Constellium plant in Van Buren Township, Michigan, ended their strike that began May 17th. The plant supplies aluminum components to Ford, Workers at the Clarios plant in Holland, Ohio have been on strike since May 8th. That plant supplies batteries to General Motors and Ford. Details of the new contracts have not been disclosed. Lithia
2: Motors has taken a significant step toward reaching its expectation to add $4 billion in revenue this year. Last week, it acquired 14 franchise dealerships from Dennis Elmer of Priority Auto Group in Virginia. Lithia expects the acquisition to add $1.2 billion in annual revenue. It comes after its purchase of Jardine Motors Group in the United Kingdom in March. Lithia CEO Brian DeBoer told us at Automotive News this month that the auto retailer expects to add about $4 billion of revenue this year through acquisitions, and its deals under contract were all in the U.S. Everything else that we have under contract now is all domestic. Okay, so the rest of the year will round out pretty nicely. We think it should come in around $4 billion. The transaction marked Lithia's first U.S. dealership acquisition of 2023, and this year's biggest deal so far in terms of the number of dealerships
1: acquired, as tracked by Automotive News. Electric truck startup Nikola says it will cut 270 employees as it looks to cut costs and sharpen focus on the North American marketplace. Of the 270 affected workers, 150 were supporting Nikola's European operations, and 120 were based at its sites in Phoenix and Coolidge, Arizona. The company says the move will help Nikola reduce personnel-related cash spending by $50 million a year. It's the latest sign of turmoil at Nikola, which has grappled in recent months with a delivery shortfall, executive turnover, and a slumping stock price that has led to a possible delisting. And many customers still don't trust certain automated driving
2: features. That's according to a new survey of 8,000 car shoppers by S&P Global Mobility. While many safety features polled in the 80th percentile range in the survey, only 61% of respondents expressed interest in, quote, self-driving. The survey showed self-driving as the least desirable eight-ass feature listed in the survey. Consumers preferred automated driving features, where the driver maintains more control over the vehicle. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, UAW strikes in Ohio and Michigan have come to an end. How do you think this will affect talks through the summer and
1: fall? Yeah, you know, we came into this uh, with a lot of anticipation that there could be a strike against one or more automakers, and nothing that's happened this spring and summer with these suppliers should change anyone's view on that. Sean Fain feels like it was a success. They inflicted some pain on the company, probably some pain on the workers who weren't uh, getting their regular paychecks, but they came to an agreement and that would appear to be something that will be in their arsenal, in the union's arsenal, going into the talks this fall. Interesting. Coming up,
2: Tara Watt CEO Neha Palmer talks about her startup's plans to make charging easier and faster for electric fleets. That's next on Daily Drive.
0: Economic uncertainty, vehicle affordability, and ever-increasing customer expectations are threatening the profitability and efficiency gains you've made over the last couple of years. You may be finding the strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were.
4: You offer online options so customers can begin the buying process remotely, but your salespeople have to rebuild the deal or correct it during the in-store appointment. You ask your advisors to be proactive about calling customers to get work approved, but still wind up with occupied bays and stalled jobs when the customer doesn't answer the phone. Your business office clerks are trying to process deal jackets faster, but funding still takes weeks. The strategies you've used to improve performance in the past just aren't as effective as they once were. Getting better at outdated and inefficient processes will only get you so far. Let's face it, Netflix isn't a household name because they got really good at mailing DVDs. And nearly half of Apple's revenue comes from the iPhone, not from the computers the company was founded on. These companies evolved as new challenges presented themselves instead of sticking with the status quo. It's time for a mindset shift. It's time to operate differently.
0: Finding new and innovative ways to operate is essential to effectively managing the pressures facing your dealership. Visit com slash operate differently to get started. That's reyrey.com slash operate dash differently.
1: Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Last week, a J.D. Power study found that the biggest friction point when a consumer considers buying an EV is knowing when and where they'd be able to charge their vehicles away from home. That's a consideration not only for consumers, but fleet owners and operators who are pondering the possibility of electrifying their trucks and commercial vehicles. Neha Palmer is the CEO and co-founder of Terawatt, a startup that hopes to address that problem for commercial customers She spoke with her own Pete Bigelow for Shift, a podcast about mobility.
4: Neha, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here today. Thanks so much for having me. Kick this off by telling us about Terawatt a little bit. Uh, There's a lot of charging companies out there, but you have something of a comprehensive offering that that makes you pretty unique.
3: Yeah, Terawatt has been purpose-built to provide EV charging solutions for fleets. Um, We start with Fleet First. And we build our solutions around the complex needs of fleets. Um, we provide a full-stack solution. So we have property in 18 states. So we have real estate that we put in locations where fleets are located to create these charging centers. Um, we will work with utilities to bring all of the power to a site. We will uh, bring all of those on-site infrastructure pieces, so charging, any batteries, solar, uh on-site generation, and then Something really key for fleets that's maybe a little bit more unique than public-facing charging is reliability. So we want to operate these sites with incredibly high reliability that fleets who their main business is transporting goods uh, will require to feel really confident in their
4: transition to EVs. All right. We've got a lot to unpack here. Uh, Maybe I'll start with the fact that you have locations or you have property in 18 states, uh, which is interesting because it kind of makes me think of, uh, you know, it's funny. You hear about like McDonald's not really being a fast food company, but a real estate company first and foremost. And I don't know if that ne- necessarily uh, is parallel to Terawatt uh, owning a lot of property, uh, but but I think you are more of a charging company than they are a, a fast food company. Uh, but suffice to say, location is a really strategically important part of what you're doing here.
3: Absolutely. You know, we think of this as a real estate type asset because location is such a key component of the location criteria for what makes sense for EV charging for fleets. Um, But at the end of the day, we are a solutions company. We want to provide these solutions and we think that makes the real estate valuable. The ability to provide these really seamless solutions for fleets makes that piece of property more valuable. Um, When we think of the site location criteria, obviously location is everything. Again, I mentioned we are in places where fleets are located. That means we're in warehouse hubs for our heavy-duty customers. We're in downtown areas for our light-duty customer fleets. Um, We think about what's going to be the least operationally impactful for them. So we really want to make sure that we're in places that make sense for them in their routes. Um, you know, Other location criteria are also equally important and not tied to real estate. That would include things like power availability. This is something that we start sussing out from the beginning before we even buy a piece of property. We're working with those local utilities to understand how power dense is this area. Um, because if you have a great location, but can't get power, obviously you can't charge there. And then we look at where our specific customers are. There might be even more micro location criteria where a fleet wants to be charging very adjacent to their existing operations. So there's a lot of location criteria, real estate locations, everything, that's definitely a factor, but there's lots of other factors when it comes
4: to charging as well. So one, you have to have one plus one equals two here in terms of the, the need from your fleet customers, plus the, the power availability from utility companies before you can uh, start to think about breaking ground. Exactly. So you have 18 states uh, where you have property right now. How do you anticipate kind of rolling out a network? Where are you starting and and what does this look like this year, next year, et cetera?
3: Yeah. So we've made a really exciting announcement that we're starting to build out the I-10 corridor between the Port of Long Beach, which is really where a hotbed of activity when it comes to EVs uh, are, and we're going eastward all the way to El Paso. So building, obviously, in California uh, as we start. Uh, in places near the port, the Inland Empire, where there's a lot of warehouses, and then moving eastward through Phoenix, Arizona, uh, into New Mexico and onward to Texas. So, um, you know, that is really driven by a couple of things. Uh, There's at the state level in California, a lot of regulations that are pushing for electrification and zero emission vehicles. There's also lots of incentives in California. So some of the uh, low carbon fuel standards and things like that help promote electrification. Um, And then also at the federal level, there's just a lot of support that's come out in the last year. So we do see a lot of initial activity happening in California, but we're starting to see little pockets of activity elsewhere as well. On the eastern corridor along the I-95, for example, we're starting to see demand there. So starting in California, but certainly we have ambition that this is going to be needed everywhere across the US. You know, We view this as Uh, once in a generation type of infrastructure that needs to be built. Two generations ago, railroads. Last generation was the National Highway Network, and now we're going to electrify that highway network. So really exciting.
4: When you talk about highways and the port of Long Beach, for one example, I guess, I think of heavy-duty trucking. Uh, And so I'm curious, when you talk about fleets and your customers, are we talking about heavy-duty trucking, medium-duty uh, some combination thereof? Like who, who are your customers?
3: Yeah, we're somewhat fleet agnostic. We'll help any fleet that needs to solve some char- you know complex charging uh, needs for their fleets. So we'll work with light-duty fleets. And indeed, we do have some light-duty fleet customers. But we know that the demand from heavy-duty fleets is going to be extra complex and require more solutions, the types that we're starting to provide for them. Uh, if you take a heavy-duty vehicle, that will ultimately uh, you know, need one megawatt of power, that's the same amount of power you could charge you know, eight to 10 light duty vehicles with. Think about that. And if you have 10 heavy duty vehicles at one time, that's a lot of power required in one location. So the challenges for these heavy duty fleets is much more urgent than what we see with some of these light duty fleets. Of course, they also have their challenges and are looking for solutions as well. So we think we're uniquely positioned to bring these solutions to heavy duty fleets that are really off, often under some of these mandates, uh, off faster than some of the light duty fleets. Um, so really excited to work with the you know heavy duty fleets working on these complex solutions. You know, they're fleet managers at the end of the day. They have not had the experience of working with utilities, working with what are essentially technology companies providing this hardware. There's a whole software layer when it comes to charging. And so what at the end of the day they're really trying to do is just optimize their operations and run their fleets efficiently. So we're able to provide that kind of turnkey solution that allows them to focus on their core business. But we're also providing something else. You know, When we bring this full stack solution, we're allowing what might be a really big upfront expense for a heavy duty fleet to be converted into OPEX. They're essentially able to come to a charging center or work with us in a way that allows them to make you know, more monthly type payments as opposed to a big upfront investment alongside new vehicles. So we're finding a lot of interest from these heavy duty fleets because as they start to do this electrification journey, they realize, wow, there's a lot of complexity here that they just haven't been prepared to deal with.
4: In terms of your customers, uh, I've heard Terawatt use the word reservability a lot. Uh, What is that and how does it play into uh, what you perceive as reliability?
3: Yeah, you know, the needs of fleets are very unique, right? If you look at public charging, anyone can pull up and charge when they need to. And a fleet has a requirement for more certainty. I think certainty is actually a really key component of what fleets are looking for, right? Time is money to them. Um, Finding drivers is difficult. So if they're sitting for six hours waiting for charging to show up, that's not going to be a viable way for them to electrify. So what our customers ask for is when they pull up, they wanna know that they're gonna have a port that they can pull up to and start charging immediately. They wanna know that they're gonna have the full power of that charger. They think it's gonna provide 350 kilowatts, it's providing that full amount of power. They wanna know that it's good uh, interoperability, that the vehicles that they are bringing to that charging station have been tested, are viable in combination with the charging that's available there. So these are all things that are very unique to fleets And it all chalks up to reliability, which is when I want to charge my vehicle, can I do that? And these are the kinds of parts of the solutions that we need to make sure that are thoroughly thought out and really well vetted for fleets. So um, I think about reservability as a component of that. But what I really think they want is certainty and reliability.
1: Neha Palmer is CEO and co-founder of Terawatt. She spoke with our own Pete Bigelow on Shift, a podcast about mobility. You can hear their full conversation on Shift wherever you get your podcasts. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to
2: Automotive News Coordinating Producer, Jake Neer, as well as our own Paige Hotter, Jack Walsworth, and Isabella Warren for their reporting for today's podcast. You can get the latest news on innovation in tech,
1: union negotiations, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation about this year's Detroit Auto Show, and why it could be weaker than last year, despite what organizers are saying publicly. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.